Welcome to Dragon Talk. Okay. I'm Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Mazzanova. We are here to tell you about an amazing game called Dungeons and Dragons, because this is the official podcast. Yep. Sure is. Woo! All right. That's that's our new theme song for Dragon Talk. Yep. It's going to be a big hit. It already is. It's, I'm I, just, oh, my God. The reviews are coming in. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy it's December holidays. here. In Cascadia. In Cascadia. That means we are high-fiving all the elves. Yeah. Like, go, high elf. We go, know wood elf. You're really busy right now. Making all Making the toys. toys. My girls time for high fives. sent uh, letters to oh, Santa. What'd they write? I, I haven't opened it up yet. Are you going to? I guess I have to. Well, yeah, but they gave them to me. They're like, oh, daddy can send them. So I have them with me. You want to go check them out later? Yes. I should open them up. Oh, my God. That's they so They told cute. me they both asked for laptops. <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah. No. They're like, we both asked for laptops. I'm like, okay, no. Why do they want laptops? I don't know. They, we use a lot of electronics in my house, I guess. So do we. Yeah. But he's never asked for a laptop. Yeah. Well, well I think... Edna wanted a laptop because she has, she's been using like one of my older ones that I have yeah. for homework and stuff. She has a desk in her room now and she uses it there. And we also play some games on it sometimes together. Um, but it's slow. It's like a crappy old one. And so she wants a new fangled laptop what, because what kind of, it'll run faster. What homework does she do on a laptop in oh, second grade? All the homeworks. They do uh, uh, reading and math. Oh, uh, there, there are a couple of services. One's called Dreambox. I know that one. And Raz Kids. Oh, we have both of those. Yeah, because you're in the same school system that we are. Right. I haven't logged into the <laughs> Dreambox one yet, though. Yeah, you should do, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do um, it's mostly, it's like a game. <clears throat> they play a game, but there's some tasks. He loves that other one, the reading one. The reading one's great. Yeah. Yeah, and Raz Kids is fantastic. Yeah. Fiona loves to be like, I want to do, do my homework. And I'm like, great. You're sitting in front of the screen and yeah. put some headphones on. There you go. Yeah, we're, we're wa- all night long. We're watching some TV over here. We'll Love check it. you later. Yep. Um, so I don't think uh, I was like, do el- can Santa's elves make laptops? Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think they can. So. And then they we had a long discussion about what they can and can't make. Do you have- like? Well, they can make games, and games aren't toys, mm. so they should be able to make this, right? No, it's different. Yeah, it's just different. It is just. Do different. you have an elf on the shelf? No, we don't. I always wonder: Is that a, what? What race of sub race of elves are the elves on the shelves? Are they aquatic elves, wood elves? Um, uh, I think maybe Eladrin. I think it might be an Eladrin. What do you think, Shelley? Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> I do actually. All of the above. <laughs> All right, we have an amazing man here uh, on this. What I like to call a interview james damato yes uh from one shot rpg he wrote a fantastic book that's all about backstory it's amazing for your D character very inspiring very very inspiring right yep. Yep. What, what what is it about it that you that you dug the most i like all the hooks yeah I just like that there's um well i don't want to spoil things from the interview but there are things that um you know that we tend to skip over when we play D. yeah where you could actually be using that time for some cool story generation and some character development. Right. And we know that people love making characters. That's one of the first things people yes. interact with when they get the player's handbook or D&D Beyond or whatever uh, they have. Uh, they'll just make tons of characters. Yep. I was that way. Yep. When I first really discovered uh, D&D when I was a kid, 
and I didn't have anyone to play with. You were just were making characters. That is pretty much all I would. But they were do. all very, uh, I don't know, mechanics driven. I guess you could say. And what's cool about uh, this book that James uh, D'Amato wrote and that you can pick up now, it's called The Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide, um, is that it forces you to kind of expand the the motivations and, and, and why your character is doing what he's doing as well as interacting with the backstory for the world that your Dungeon Master has created. I like anything that, that helps role play, helps make role playing easier. Right, or encourages role-playing because I yes. feel like it's not always encouraged yeah. at the table. Yep. You know, let's be honest. Sometimes people are just like, yeah, I just go into this room and That's how many of my games up. were in the beginning. Yeah, in the before times. Yeah, in the before times. But then after this book has come out, so many more people will be using the, the kind of the, 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 the tenets of uh, improv comedy the, or, or just improv in general, but improv acting in general uh, to uh, develop what – why your character does certain things or is the way they are um, and articulate it around the table so that it makes sense and it's part of the fun. I yes. dig all this. Me too. We, I talk to people all the time who like write you know, super long backstories and, and never get to play those backstories or, or have them be uh, experienced at the table. And here's a great way to, A, help flesh that out so it's not just stuff you write, um, but then also bring it up uh, in actual play. Yep. So Cool. Again, Good we don't him. want to spoil the interview. Nope. We just did. So just a do you, little. You don't even need to listen to it. Um, so while you're doing not listening to it, why don't you uh, pick up some amazing, fun, uh, you know, adventures? Like, don't, this is a terrible segue. <laughs> you're all, like, looking at me like I'm an huh? idiot. Uh, but, yeah. That's great. There's lots of other fun stuff that you can grab for Dungeons & Dragons that have just come out, uh, including Dungeon of the Mad Mage. As I said, yes, it's an undermountain. Yes, check it out. Uh, Guild Master's Guide to Ravnica, which is also tons of fun. Uh, if you're not into that whole backstory thing, there is Dungeon Mayhem out there, which allows you to play cards and uh, destroy your teammates using some fun D and D, you know, like rules um, and spells and abilities. Super fun, super and, fun game. And it's quick, got- fast, great for kids. Family gatherings. And it has a uh, really vibrant artwork by Kyle Farron, mm-hmm. um, which I think brings the whole thing together and to life. Yep. I dig it. I love it. Check it out there. As so Shelly has said before, bring it to all of your holiday gatherings and get people to play because it bring takes it. a minute to learn and 10 minutes to play, if that. I cannot wait. Yeah. Dig it. I will be playing it with my family. This holiday. Righto. Uh, and don't forget to pick up uh, the ABCs and one, two, threes of D&D or... Oh, yeah. You know, either or of those. They're, they're both fantastic. Lots of Tons people of great... have been picking them up. Yeah. Uh, we, they were right. It was bestseller lists uh, all over the place. Yeah. Um, and they are wonderful to read to your kids. Uh, we can attest to that since we have children's. And have read to them. And have read to them many times. Yes. Uh, books that we might not choose to read to them, uh, but we will always choose these because they're amazing. And they're fun to read. And the artwork uh, by Caleb Cleveland. Yeah. Choice. Their Very choice. Cute. Love it. it. Lots of little D&D Easter eggs in there too. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and don't forget the uh, Adventures Outlined, uh, yeah. which is a coloring book um, that is full of line art. You know, So not the traditional D&D art that you would find um, in our books. Um, there was a coloring book that uh, did that uh, by Candlewick Press. This one is Adventures Outlined, and it has 
very creative line art that you can fill in with our D&D monsters at the forefront um, and with text from Adam Lee, uh, one of the writers here on the D&D team yes. that brings those so specific images to life. Uh, either with fun stories or uh, little details or bits about the lore of those monsters. Uh, so great to do with your friends and family. Um, I love coloring in that book in. Yes. there's um, Our production department actually has that book out on their kind of public table Yeah, and with a box of colored pencils. Oh, really? So you can just like – Wander by and just take a little color break. Just and I was. I was in. having – I was just talking to someone about something and while we were standing there talking, I started coloring in a mushroom. And oh. I was like, this actually is really relaxing. You mean uh, Mykonid? Yes. <laughs> yes, that is what I meant. You know, the mushroom. The mushroom. mushroom people. The mushroom people. The, it didn't have a face. Just a mushroom. Just a mushroom. All right, good. Yeah. It's different. Shelly's still on a cleanse. Mushrooms. Mushrooms are delicious. They sound so good. Right? Marsala wine I sauce. Eat, I would even eat a poison one right now. Just for the sustenance. I just need something to eat. <laughs> oh. Excellent. Well, we have an amazing lore you should know uh, right about now that we will queue up and then we'll get to our interview with James D'Amato. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Welcome to Lore You Should Know. Today we're going to replay a segment we originally recorded in 2016 with Mr. Chris Perkins and Matt Cernet talking about holidays and calendars for the Forgotten Realms. Uh, it seems pretty apt to do it now as everyone is gearing up for the end-of-year holidays and getting back into the swing of things uh, for 2019. But before I throw it to that segment. I wanted to uh, take this time to thank everybody who has listened to Dragon Talk over these fun 12 months. We've produced uh, more than 50 episodes of Dragon Talk, and I consistently get feedback from people in the community uh, who listen to all of them, and uh, we really appreciate everyone out there and wanted to give uh, a shout-out to you, the listeners, because you're pretty darn awesome. Um, I also wanted to make sure to thank everyone who is helping to produce this here podcast for you guys to listen to. Uh, of course, my co-host, Shelly Mazzanoble, can't do it without her. She is uh, one of the funniest people I know, and I love getting to hang out with her for an hour every week or so. Uh, Pelham Green has done amazing work all year long and uh, always is there to help for streaming the Dragon Talk and improving the way we show it on uh, twitch.tv slash dnd. Ryan Marth. Audio engineer extraordinaire has done uh, amazing work improving not only the sound quality, but just the overall um, uh, uh, happiness of the podcast. So thank you, sir, for that. He's one of the only few people who I'm thanking who are actually in the room right now. So good job, sir. Oh, shucks. Uh, I want to thank Chris Perkins uh, for his uh, amazing availability. First and foremost, he has another job uh, doing the uh, amazing adventures that you all get to enjoy for Dungeons & Dragons as well as doing dice camera action. But he takes time to dispense all of the lore you should know, and I appreciate that very much. Thank you, sir. Uh, Mr. Matt Cernet for all of the lore episodes that he has been able to expound upon uh, over the course of 
the year, uh, Mr. Ari Levich came in and told us all about what was happening in Ravnica, and I got more and more excited about that setting every single time I spoke to him, and hopefully you did too, so thank you, Ari, for that. Jeremy Crawford, thank you for coming in and doing uh, Sage Advice uh, segments for us. I hope to get more of those in 2019. The latter half of uh, 2018 was a bit busy. Uh, we never were able to kind of connect and get him in here, but I, I'm always appreciative of his insight on D&D rules, and uh, we'll be doing more of those segments going forward. And then uh, finally, Sean Mayofsky on the video team here at Wizards of the Coast uh, for all of his help getting the uh, equipment and the studios running those, making them run really well. So thank you, Sean, for all of that. Um, you guys uh, listening, again, can't do it uh, without you. And it is always heartening to meet a fan or, or, or talk to someone who is familiar uh, with what we do here. Sometimes it makes it, it's crazy. We're talking into a microphone. We don't really realize that uh, so many people are listening. And so it is uh, always a surprise and a delight. And I hope we continue to do that, uh, delighting you, uh, the listener, uh, in 2019. So thank you. Enjoy all of your time with family this season and we will listen to you guys or hear you guys or see you guys uh, on, on when we record this on Twitch next year. We got lots of stuff uh, planned in the hopper. We might uh, change, you know, improve and evolve the format a little bit, but we'll let you guys know all about that uh, when we start back in January 2019. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to now instruct Mr. Ryan Marth to play this segment from uh, 2016 all about holidays and uh, uh, the calendar of the Forgotten Realms. Let's take a listen. I'm Greg Tito and I'm joined by uh, two very lorry gentlemen. Uh, Matt Cernet, hello. Howdy. And I am also here with Chris Perkins. Greetings. Greetings. Today we are going to discuss holidays. Ooh, uh, seasons greetings. Seasons <laughs> greetings, yes. Merry holidays. Yes. Uh, here in the Forgotten Realms, uh, as well as just generally how the calendar works in uh, uh, Ed Greenwin's uh, uh, Forgotten Realms uh, and the concept of weeks and months uh, throughout the calendar. Uh, but of course, holidays is very important because you know this is the lore you should know that will be happening or most closest to the holidays here in our world. Uh, so, uh, Matt, what can you tell us about... Um, uh, let's start with holidays. Let's start with it with uh, uh, what, we, what would be an analog to uh, kind of the end of year Christmas time Hanukkah Kwanzaa. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> well, so so there's there's an, actually a number of different um, seasonal uh, things that happen towards like that changing of the year date. Uh, the most sort of widespread, I would say, is probably Simril, uh, and that's um, sort of the winter solstice celebration that's broadly celebrated throughout Faerun. And uh, it's, you know, the, the things you associate typically with a winter solstice type festival, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're slaughtering uh, animals um, that won't survive the winter, so you have a big feast and uh, lots of um, sort of people gathering together and um, lighting the, the night and, you know, that kind of thing because it's that sort of dark, going into the... the the dark period or coming out of the dark period, whichever it is. <laughs> You're leaving the longest day, yes. the longest night yes. behind. Yes, and so it's sort of a celebration of, of the end of, of the, the, that dark period. Uh, and so there's bonfires outside and, and that kind of thing. I don't, I don't think Christmas trees or 
holly or things like that or necessarily mm. a thing. But definitely, is there like a, a, a snow motif? Uh, abs- I mean, absolutely. In the places where it's snowing, it, it, it's definitely snowing. And, and there's, you know, outside there's bonfires and lanterns. And, and uh, I'm sure probably there are similar songs, but I don't know what they are. <laughs> does, it, does it venerate any uh, particular deities? It, well, so it's a pantheistic society, and so I don't think they necessarily venerate anything in particular at that time besides um, deities associated with the changing of the seasons uh, and um, deities associated with, you know, the kinds of things that you were eating. So mm-hmm. Shantae uh, was associated with, you know, the farm and animals and stuff like that. And, um, you know, uh, Merkel in the past was associated with winter to a degree and the death of the seasons. So it was sort of like the putting him away. Um, certainly the new year would bring along the idea of celebrating uh, Lavender because he's all about uh, new ideas, new experiences, mm. you know. The rebirth um, of the year. Yeah, all that kind of a thing. So, sense. I mean, there would be multiple sort of um, venerations of various deities at that period. Right. Each temple would take advantage of the occasion for their... Yeah. <laughs> to, <laughs> to spin their specific things. So, yeah. like, acolytes of Shantae would, you know, be more cornucopia-type things of, like, you know, here's, That's right. here's all of the bounty, uh, more of, like, a harvest-type... Uh, Take, whereas yeah. Merkel would be, you know, more of the almost Halloween-ish right. type. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly other seasons in, in, in the, the setting that and other celebrations of the setting that are widely shared that um, uh, where um, they're more analogs to, say, Halloween, for example. Okay. Uh, but uh, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing because of the, the, the world and the, the way the calendar works uh, is based upon our world, which I think Ed did very sensibly, right? He didn't say the world, uh, this, suddenly the year is 400 days long or something weird like that. It's 365 right. days, and, and then it actually works in a very sensible fashion. Um, uh, a little hard to wrap your head around, I think, at first, because it's, it's not a seven-day week. Uh, but once you get beyond that, it's like, hey, why don't we do this? Mm. <laughs> you know, it's very sensible. So there, I, we, people who have read uh, R.A. Salvatore's novels or whatever my, or, or would have seen uh, uh, references to 10 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is the week of Forgotten Realms. Correct, yeah. So the, uh, there's 365 days in a year, obviously. Um, there are uh, 36 10 days. Okay. Right? And then there are five days that are not on those 10 days. And those days are um, around the solstices, and they are basically holiday days frittered throughout the year based upon solstices and some other things. So, um, and then uh, the leap years even accounted for with the idea of shield meet, because that comes every four years, and that's an extra day inserted into the calendar. Mm. Um, and shield meet is this period when uh, people are supposed to sort of come together and, and make peace and uh, have negotiations and make deals. And that's sort of an, a, like that four-day period is like this period where everyone um, theoretically is is doing that kind of thing. That's why it's shield meets. Everyone's sort of putting down their shields. And Is it also in the, you know, February 29th kind of time, you know, area? Is it a winter thing? Is it, is it where we celebrate the birth of Chris Perkins? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. When is she? I think she'll meet in the middle of the, the. Yeah, it's in the middle of summer, actually. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So that's a different uh, uh, kind of take. Yeah. Uh, is it? Is it? Is it? I, doesn't it immediately follow one of the five? 
holiday yeah. days. Yeah, so Midsummer is one of those holiday days, and Shield Me when it, when it occurs follows that day. Interesting. All right, that actually makes a lot more sense. You get an extra day, and you'd be in the middle of celebration for for Midsummer, and then uh, uh, have that time. Now, is that like typically a time when you know? Uh, uh, Government happens, you know, does that, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of the analog of every four years in uh, uh, the US, United States, for example, we have a major presidential election. Is that a similar kind of idea where, like, you get together, make peace, uh, uh, form new alliances, alliances things like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the general idea. Like, I think, you know, it's not very well documented because I don't think a lot of um, uh, sort of wars and stuff like that in the Forgotten Realms are really documented day by day. Mm. But I think the idea that, uh, you know, if you were fighting a war and it was a war when, um, you know, a shield meet would happen, you might at least take the day off, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like that would be at least sort of an acknowledged, like, okay, well, everybody, we're not supposed to fight on shield meet. Like, that's, that's you know, so. That's crazy. Unless you're fighting like mind flayers who don't care about shield meet. <laughs> right. They have a different calendar altogether, those mind players. <laughs> <laughs> the absence of calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so uh, it is hard to wrap your brain around at first. Uh, the idea of there being 10 days is a, is a unit of time. Uh, I think we're kind of almost high, hardwired uh, as humans to think of seven days. and you know, Right. Um, but once you do latch on to it, I think you're right. I think it does make almost more, more sense as a calendar. Yeah, than the Julian calendar, and it's it's regular. Like the, the just nothing changes. You know, the, it's not like February where sometimes it's this day many days or nothing. Right. Or whatever. It's just you know, and, right. and the days that the, it every month has the same number of days in it. Right, it's every mm-hmm. 30, 30, 30, 30, mm-hmm. 30. So. Yep. So, uh, uh, what are some ideas? Um, maybe Chris, you can pipe in here on ways to infuse this kind of these holidays. Uh, so, Simrol, for example, in your campaign, uh, you know, if you're playing around uh, the holidays uh, with your friends, you're in our world. Uh, it might be interesting to introduce some some thoughts and themes from holidays. Have you had experience doing that? And- no. No? <laughs> uh, no, not really. Um, there are no days off in Chris Adventures campaigns. You just... <laughs> right, yes. Uh, I've never... I, um, I, I've never personally um, sort of slavishly adhered to calendars in my home campaigns. I have entertained the idea um, in the past of... of in fact, I did try once to sort of follow a very tight calendar and mm-hmm. sort of track days day by day in my campaign so I would know that, uh, you know, next game session is actually going to take place on a holiday. So I'm going to, ch- I'm going to do something in the campaign to accommodate that. Yeah. Uh, I think there are, uh, there are many in- more industrious DMs out there <laughs> than me uh, who, uh, who love to really track where the characters are temporarily um, and have things happen on special days. And I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, I did, when my first uh, major foray into uh, uh, doing this was uh, 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 the Age of Worms campaign mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the 2000s. And my DM was one of those DMs who meticulously noted the days and when there was downtime and had specific events it didn't indeed happen or, or, or yeah. you know, uh, appearances by deities or things that happened on their, their holy days. Oh, uh, and actually I'm a big fat liar. Uh, <laughs> um, so so uh, can I talk about Acquisitions, Inc.? The, sure. Uh, the holiday uh, the game? Uh, perhaps. 
Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure when that's uh, playing. It is a holiday special. Yeah, it's supposed, so to, it would be, it's supposed to come out before the end of the year. Well, either, we'll tease it here All right. in, in any case. Anyway, so uh, I was um, drawn into uh, Acquisitions Incorporated game um, that we taped. Uh, at the Penny Arcade offices in their new studio facility. Ooh. Yes, and uh, they asked me to make it holiday-themed. So it takes place uh, in and around Dead Winter Day, which is kind of, it's a depressing holiday. I don't know if I'd call it a holiday. <laughs> it's just sort of depressing. It's like, the, you're, it, it's, a, it's a day that people acknowledge is like um, this, you're in the... the the middle of winter and it's kind of depressing and everybody's starving and you're running out of food and it's just an acknowledgement of the passing of, win- of, of, of winter's presence. So like a, a groundhog not, not presence day? presence as in, you know, presence you get that you right, like. Right, but that but winter is here and it sucks. Winter is here and it sucks. <laughs> and, and it's uh, cold. So it's like almost like a groundhog day kind of idea where like this is the middle yes. of it and it could go better or it could go worse. Exactly. And uh, the theme was to uh, kind of make it feel like a, an Acquisitions Incorporated holiday special. Mm. Um, with, you know, adding a little touch of morality, um, some symbolism, some ghosts? Were there any ghosts? Uh, there were no ghosts, but there is sort of a Grinch-like figure um, who the characters end up contending with. Oh, and I was going to say it was one of them. And but. we do learn uh, a lot more about the character of Viari and where he came from. And uh, so there are some very personal touchstones. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was it was a very cool experience. And uh, so that that play session that we had, that little jam session that we had, will get sliced up, get sliced up into episodes and will air in sequence. Um, to give you just a, a little little happy dose of laughter over the holiday season. Excellent. Yeah, that is cool. I like yeah. that. And I, and I do think it does, you know, when you, inf- you know, if you're meeting around that time, uh, uh, it's, yeah. it makes sense to kind of infuse, you know, right. that and in your there game. are some great fun um, potential holidays in the Forgotten Realms year that a DM can go to town with and that I might go to town with in the future. Like, for instance... Um, is it called Troll Tide? Yeah, that's a Waterdeep-specific one, I believe. That, that's a Waterdeep-specific one where basically uh, children run around the streets of Waterdeep with troll masks on. Ooh, cool. And, you know... Behave, get up to mischief. Be, get up to mischief, behave badly, and uh, there might actually be some troll burning. It's it's a celebration of the Second Troll War where trolls basically threw themselves at the walls of the city and the city had to beat them back. Mm. Um but the idea that you might burn, you know, effigies of trolls, set them ablaze, because trolls are, of course, susceptible to fire. Yeah. And so there's this sort of symbolic burning of the trolls, and the kids running around as trolls is just sort of adding to the mayhem of the situation. Yeah. I love that that holiday has a built-in moral to it, that you're like, burn yeah. trolls. <laughs> if you're going to learn anything, learn that burning right. works. But don't burn the children. <laughs> yeah. well, the, the great thing about that, that particular uh, holiday for me is, is that, you know, in the United States, it's not that common to burn things in effigy unless you're kind of making a really nasty political statement. <laughs> right. It seems to be the ultimate uh, insult yeah. in a way. Whereas, you know, in a lot of other countries, particularly in Europe, um, you know, there's there's many holidays where, uh, like especially around the winter period, where you might have, like, have a Viking ship drag through town and throw torches at it or... Uh, you know, there's some weird, you know, effigy of some random, um, uh, like a lord of some past period that was particularly disliked at that, you know, time, and they burn that person, and you know, the, all Guy Fawkes, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, 
it, it kind of brings that kind of fire and, and parade aspect into the city, mm -hmm. which I, I which we just we, we wouldn't allow. It's <laughs> like people randomly throwing fires at things in the no. street. <laughs> it's switched to uh, ticker tape and yeah. uh, uh, littering is, is is really the celebrate celebratory thing. Yeah, uh, uh, that we do here now. So when is when does uh, troll? It's in the spring. Spring. Yeah. Yeah. The the month is called uh, Kythorn, um, but that's. Sort of the in, into into summer, sort of spring mm -hmm. kind of period. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. What are some other holidays you might want to infuse in your game uh, uh, if you were so inclined in the in the Forgotten Realms adventure? Well, one of the ones with the most sort of ev evocative name uh, is um, uh, the Feast of the Moon, mm. which sounds like oh yeah, it's spooky. It's it's got maybe it's like around Halloween and there's like werewolves and. You know, and uh, that that one actually isn't all that um, scary. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's kind of uh, it's it's actually more a period of when um, people. Uh, it's sort of more like um, the Day of the Dead in Mexico, but without all of the elaborate celebrations and parades and stuff like that. It's more like the actual when you get to the cemetery. It's a day of remembrance mm. of people who've passed. You know, you light a candle, you put it on their gravestone. Okay. That kind of a thing. That's similar to a uh, um, November 1st in the Catholic tradition of All Souls Day. Uh, right. Where it's, it's mm -hmm. you know, remembrances. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Is that the one that you were speaking of that had more of a Halloween analog to it? Well, well, the the one that has like a, a like a more direct Halloween analog is um, one that's not very well known, I think, canonically, uh, but it has been done um, recently, I think, in the Neverwinter game, and that's uh, Liar's Night, and that's mm -hmm. based on um, the goddess Liera, who's the goddess of lies and mask, the goddess of trickery and, and thievery and stuff like that. And it's sort of this. Um, Oh, Halloweenish thing, and that people are all sort of uh, putting on costumes playing and tricks on playing tricks on one another, and there's pranks, and and some of those pranks are actually pickpocketing one another, or or reverse pickpocketing. You know, you're, you're putting gifts What's, onto other people oh, and I stuff see. like that, and so it's it's kind of a, a, a wacky, fun little holiday. That is cool. Is that specific to Neverwinter, or is that? Uh Forgotten Realms wide. It's it's more of a, a Faerun, um the North kind of wide thing. Got it. Uh, Interesting. Uh, all right, great. Well, those are uh, uh, some great uh, holidays to kind of think about, and hopefully we give you more of an overview of what uh, uh, the Forgotten Realms cal calendar is like, and you can start to use that in your game. As you, as Chris mentioned, it, you know it does take a industrious DM yeah. uh, to do that, so don't feel like. Uh, uh, if that's not your style, don't do not do it as a matter of course, but I do like the idea of making it feel like there's a, a, a world going on uh, uh, around you. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a great way, if, if, even if it's just a throwaway thing, like, hey, this village is celebrating you know, Simral uh, while your adventures are going through. It's, a, it's an interesting way to make it feel like a, a live, breathing, uh, breathing world. Yep. So happy Simral, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Lore you should know. Yeah, wasn't that a great lore you should know? <laughs> yes. Do you feel like you know so much more about I that lore? I am so excited about that lore you should know. I I mean, now I feel like I have something I can talk to my family about when I see them in a couple weeks. Oh, please do. Yeah. Well, I'm going to talk to my family about yogurt. You can talk to them about... 
lore that that they should know. That they should know. Yes. Um, Speaking of things that your family should know and learn more about, uh, let's talk to James D'Amato about how to create more character backstories because even though your family and my family are very much characters. Very much so. I feel like they could do some some, some fleshing out. Yes. Not in the actual flesh part. Flesh eating. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still fast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's talk to James. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bagel Talk. (laughs) We are going to be talking about all of the delicious... Combos. (laughs) (laughs) Yummy. I'm seriously, through all of the I'm questions. hallucinating right now. <laughs> all I see. Are you ice cream? Uh, so I'm Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Cleanse Master. What's your name? Shelly. Hi, Shelly. Hi. Uh, we also have uh, an amazing guest here to talk to us about so many D&D things, uh, Mr. James Giamato. Yay! Well, hello, heroes. Thank How you are for you? Bringing me on this food-themed episode, I'm, I'm really honored to <laughs> I'm join. I'm sorry you. that you have to be here for this day. It's just bad uh, timing on your no, part. I can tell you, the next character that I play in a D and D game is going to be at the middle of like a fasting cleanse, yes. and that's all they're going to talk about the entire adventure. I kind of do feel like I this is that. a good character right now, right? Except it's real life, <laughs> and it hurts, <laughs> and it's not funny. It's funny for everyone. I'm going to eat this microphone. It looks kind of delicious, right? Yes. In a gray, disgusting kind of way. Uh, well, seriously. I think uh, there are tons of things you can learn from real life that you can bring to Dungeons & Dragons. Absolutely. Right? Uh, so, uh, James, you've been uh, uh, playing D&D for a long time, right? I, I started playing D&D in college uh, under 3.5. That's um, where I learned, too. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think it, I learned. Yeah. Th- like, it was a fun addition to learn on. And now, like, comparing it to fifth in my mind, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe I did that much work I know. when I was playing before. <laughs> I would have been a lot better, probably, at D&D. You think so? If I learned on fifth edition. Oh, just on fifth, right? But you're bringing 3.5, like... I mean, it just wasn't that good. It was it was hard. Yeah. It seemed like it took days to create a character. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially and if you were creating one that had a prestige class, because then you got to make sure you had the skills that were necessary, all that stuff. Well, and there are some things you never unlearn uh, hopping from edition to edition, too. Like, I still ask people for will saves, and my players who oh, learned yeah. on fifth look at me like I'm a madman, and I am. <laughs> As it turns out. Yeah, I, I've called for a spot check here or there. Oh, yeah. For that reason, or a listen check, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I've been playing for a good, uh, like, over, over a decade now, for sure. And you're based in the Chicago area. That's true. I am in the wonderful role-playing capital of Chicago. Uh, we have a lot of a lot of people uh, like on the indie scene out here in Chicago, uh, but uh, it is a wonderful group of people uh, that you can always find good games with. That's awesome. It wasn't always the RPG capital. I guess you know proximity to uh, Wisconsin means uh, you're always going to be a little bit more uh, in touch with old school RPGs. But I, I never really thought of Chicago as that center. 
Well, I mean, it it really became that, I want to say, in the last like five to 10 years. And that's mm. because there's a wonderful group out here called CAGWIC, which is the Chicago Area Game Writers Colloquium, uh, mm. which is wow. a bunch of game designers in the Chicago area, meet up once a month, uh, grab drinks together and hang out. And that community has slowly been growing over time. And we've also got like tons of people into the actual play scene out here too. I, I would still say like, as far as game design central, like you've definitely got West Coast places that are probably locking down both of those fields. But there are a lot of people in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And it dovetails really nicely with like the uh, improv comedy scene there as well. Yes. Well, improvisers uh, are very good role players. Like even those who have never tried it before. I uh, am an improviser who says... Uh, that role-playing and improv are not different. They are like the same thing. Uh, role-playing systems, I believe, are just very robust uh, uh, ro- like improv-, uh, improv forms. So right. they have like a lot more specific rules in different conditions, but at the end of the day, like it's still spontaneous storytelling. It's still playing pretend. Um, and the context is just slightly different. Yeah, and I never even thought of it too, but one of the major you know, improv comedy uh, organizations out there or whatever we used to be called the Improv Olympics, right? Oh, yes. Well, I- Improv Olympic is still out here. It yeah. is called IO now because of a lawsuit. The Olympic <laughs> Committee. They uh, can't call they, them Olympics they anymore. Not, like, they not call the them Olympics. Still. They are extremely litigious, which I find to be very funny. But yeah, uh, uh, so IO was founded out here. Second City was founded out here. Uh, modern improv as a discipline was actually created in Chicago. Right. And there's that idea that it was a game, though. That what is, it's a, You're playing a theater game. Uh, and that you could, you know, potentially, you know, not just say win, but like that you're participating in something that had, you know, rules, but has, you know, a play associated with it. And uh, when I was coming up in the world of comedy, I never really thought of gaming and improv and comedy as different muscles of the same thing. But, you know, the, the, the nomenclature is all right there. Like, you know, it was already thought of as that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you're 100% right that uh, improv as an art form was derived from theater games Um, and today you know we have the good fortune of the context around everything being changed like you can take a role-playing game and you can record it or you can stream it and export it as a performance which is something that like you know even 10 years ago would have been a ludicrous idea it was here even i remember chris perkins has gone on record as saying that he thought no one would listen to any anyone playing a game, yep. or let alone watch people playing, right. like wh- who, what? why would you do that? I know. when you could just be playing your own game. And now we've got hundreds of uh, thousands of people doing that yep. every day, every day, uh, and of which you are uh, a, a large amount of that content that's being created <laughs> is coming not just uh, uh, from you, but from uh, the the studio that you that you control. Absolutely. Uh, I am the CEO and one of the co-founders of the One Shot Podcast Network, uh, and we produce actual play games uh, like on stream and podcasts primarily. Um, One Shot has been around now for about five years, and we've... We've done a lot of really cool like D&D related content. Uh, we, We have the Dungeon Dome, which is our like... It's. I know there's another actual play service that's like trying to mash up esports and D and D. Our idea was let's take professional wrestling and put it together with D and D. So uh, we we fight out fantasy battles in an arena, um, and we usually use D and D for that one. Uh, and we Love also it. produce. Um, uh, I, 
gosh, Rivals of Waterdeep gets produced out of our studio as well. And then, of course, the Broadswords is part of our network. So if you like D&D podcasts, uh, we've got a lot. That's right. So that's interesting. Five years ago. So you just saw an opportunity. You were like, oh, my God, people really are watching this stuff. And then you just jumped on it. You just started a whole network around it, it sounds like. So I had been podcasting for about a year before then, um, just doing general comedy podcasts. And I was part of a small network called Peaches and Hot Sauce. And my boss <laughs> at the time. Yeah, great. It, it's name. a great name. It totally explains exactly what the network does. Uh, <laughs> my boss at the time came to me and said he had been like, uh, listening to actual play podcasts. And he's like, I know that you play role-playing games. Can you do something like this for us? Um, and uh, I, I took a look around and I will say, I, I dearly love D&D, but I noticed that D&D was pretty much the only thing people were doing podcasts or streams about. Mm-hmm. Um, and One Shot is sort of built on the fa- uh, foundation of let's try lots of different things because there are there's you know a huge medley of games out there, thousands upon thousands of different systems. And so uh, One Shot, we explore everything and that includes D&D. Um, and the network has grown from there because like, uh, people really took and ran with that concept and, and it built up to the point where now we produce uh, a couple different uh, programs that are solely based in D&D in addition to our let's try everything out sort of approach. I, I love that idea I, I, of, of especially playing other games uh, that are in the same you know, space as Dungeons and Dragons because there's, there's a lot out there. And so... Well- and it changes the way it changes your like perspective for games. Yeah. Uh, after playing a few different games, I came back to D anD D, and I found I enjoyed it more and in different ways because I had the perspective from playing those other games. Right, right. It's the same as you know. I used when I was a kid, I would read fantasy novels pretty much exclusively. Uh, you know, <laughs> even to the. I mean, I always you know read most of the books I was assigned in English classes. Um, but uh, uh, when I graduated from school and was on my own and I could make all the reading decisions that I needed to make, uh, I would often make sure I was having other non-fantasy books in my rotation, mostly for that reason that you're describing, where like it made the fantasy ones that much better or more uh, brought to the forefront. But then I also learned a lot from, from, from the, the more contemporary, more you know, uh, things that wasn't in my wheelhouse. Absolutely. Like, I, I, I mean, you can see with the Dungeon Dome, but like uh, these days when I return to fantasy gaming and Dungeons and Dragons specifically, I'm layering different genres into it. Like if I, I have yeah. one shots that I run at conventions that are like noir mysteries and I've got, uh, you know, th- things that I do with the Dungeon Dome. Obviously, it's about pro wrestling. It's it's sports drama and whatnot. So I learned all of that and how to approach all of that by like through other role-playing games and just sort of brought it back to my home games at D&D. And I've found a lot of fun with it. I dig it. So how are you finding content for the OneShot Network? Is it, Are people coming to you and pitching you a show idea? Or do you guys see like there seems to be a void in this area and let's try to find something to fill it? Uh, so for us, uh, we do get a few pitches. Uh, most shows that come to us through pitches uh, – don't get picked up. Like usually we, what we try to do when we add a new show to our network is we, we've got a core uh, like mission statement at our network. And that is to one, make role-playing games uh, more approachable uh, and enjoyable for everyone. So the idea being like, it's, there are a lot of people who are like, Oh, it's, it, I, I don't know. D and D's for me. Uh, 
and they feel that way until they see someone or hear someone play it, right? Uh, so that is like, well, we produce these shows, we produce these entertainment pieces uh, to make the idea of playing a role-playing game, uh, you know, something that's that's people can grok easier, make it something that people feel they can understand easier. Mm -hmm. And the second ethos is make sure that the role-playing community itself is a welcoming and inclusive community. And a lot of how we uh, have decided to do that is through representation. We are trying to use our platform, use the company that we have to create shows uh, that show off a, a diverse set of players and people in our community. So folks uh, outside can look at it and go, oh, look, there are all these wonderful people playing these games. I should probably be a part of that, too. It looks like it's a lot of fun. Um, so like the, the newest shows that we've added, we've added, uh, session zero recently, which is a, a show that examines role-playing through the lens of psychology. It's got two licensed psychologists oh, who talk about role-playing games and like the psychological impact of these games and how they can be super helpful and different, uh, ideas that appear in psychology that you can use to sort of deconstruct your own experiences. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I that actually premieres on Tuesday. I'm super excited about that one. Oh, just gonna uh, say, I haven't seen any episodes for that yet. So yeah, right, good. I'm glad I wasn't just missing it. It's coming out soon. Oh, and then the one that came out just before that was Asians Represent, which is uh, run by Daniel Kwan and Agatha Chen, who uh, just sort of look at the impact of Asian American and you know. Uh, other Asian national designers on the role-playing industry itself mm -hmm. and also sort of take a critical look at uses of Asian culture and ideas that have appeared in role-playing, you know, over the past couple decades. And we look at, you know, well, where was the industry successful in incorporating this and where could it be doing better? And of course, they get to interview all sorts of fascinating uh, Asian folks from all over about their role-playing projects. Uh, it's a super cool show because like they've only had three episodes so far and I feel like I have learned like so much just from listening to those three so far. So that's usually like how we find our shows is I, I listen to people's ideas or I find people that, that like I kind of like in the community and go, you know, you've got a really unique voice. Is there a show that you would like to do? Um, and how can we make that happen for you? That is amazing. I, I dig it. I want to, I want to go listen to both those shows right now. I do too. That's one of my best parts about uh, consuming podcasts uh, is that, I, I am constantly being like, hey, I just learned this thing, so I'm going to go you know, find out more about it or, or go try it out. I, I listened to one about yogurt recently, and I'm like, hell, you know, I don't <laughs> eat enough yogurt. A whole podcast about yogurt? It was a short one. It was not like a – no, actually, no, this was actually really a long-form thing about you yogurt. want to <laughs> listen to a podcast about yogurt? I, 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 uh, well, what, what do you know about yogurt? It's so good. LAUGHTER <laughs> It's so creamy and delicious. Did we mention oh, that Shelly is on a cleanse? Uh, so we I didn't realize that Shelly that. hasn't eaten food in like 13 hours. Um, but yogurt is really fascinating because it is, is uh, it, it, uh, it's one of the first kind of manufactured foods that we don't even know when it really was invented. It, like it's been around for so long. Uh, and they think in some ways it contributed to civilization growing because you needed to have uh, healthy guts. Well, things in place in order to make. You know, to manufacture yogurt, and I think you know beer is one of those things as well. So yeah. maybe they were in hand in hand. Um, yeah, so it was super fascinating, and and that's what I, the podcast form is so great at because you can have experts talk about something that is, uh, uh, you know, 
fascinating to, to some. Mm-hmm. Mostly like us. Like, we're the experts here. Uh-oh. Wait, no. That's not oh, true. yeah. None That's of that right. is true. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we bring on the experts. Right. So we can ask you all the fun things. Yeah. Um, and uh, so in all of the, the, the podcasts, all the live play podcasts, people are always trying to come up with new and interesting characters uh, to play. And that's fascinating that we have been, you know, in this proliferation of D&D content that's coming out there. And very rarely do I find someone who's like, oh, I'm just playing a fighter, you know, a straight up tropey fighter. Like everyone has still been able to come up with extremely unique uh, backstories for their for their characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Um, and I, this year, uh, developed a guide to sort of help people uh, make even more robust characters. Uh, one, of, one of the things that uh, people always say when they come to us, uh, if they listen to any of our shows, uh, regardless of the game system those shows are based on, they go, man, it's so entertaining watching you guys. I, I wish that I could do that at my group at home. And, you know, we always say, well, you can, you absolutely can. <laughs> um, but I, I noticed that, like, there are certain things that uh, role-playing, like, core books are really good at preparing people to do. Like, you know, they will guide you through the process of mechanically making a character. But once you get to the table, there's only sort of soft support for certain experiences. So with the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide, uh, I came up with over 100 activities uh, that sort of guide people through the process of creating a dramatically and narratively interesting character. Um, and it can be applied to a character that you're already playing now or, you know, characters that you plan to create in the future. Um, and essentially, like, giving you the ability to give your characters different story hooks uh, so that they can have, like, the narrative satisfaction uh, that you get when you watch something like uh, a one-shot program or Critical Role. That's this, interesting. Okay, so how, what is this yeah. based off of? Is this based on your improv background or, or what? Or just uh, so a of collection playing? of different things. This is, this is definitely based uh, on my background as an improviser. Okay. Uh, when you do improv, especially long-form improv in Chicago, like the goal when you're creating a character is to very instantly create a character uh, that is deeply appealing to an audience. Um, and someone that feels like uh, when you are looking at that character on stage, uh, you're looking at a very interesting moment in the life of someone who will exist after that scene ends. So you want to create someone that feels real, someone that feels interesting with their own uh, thoughts and motivations and dreams and passions and whatnot. Uh, so we've developed a bunch of different techniques uh, in order to help us as performers do that very, very quickly so that we can get on stage, make that character interesting right away so that we can get into the scene and entertain everybody so we have a good time. Uh, so a lot of the ideas in the book are built on that. Uh, but the rest of it, I, I think, comes from just a long career of, you know, I've played professionally for, for one shot. I've played over 100 different role-playing games, like, and goodness knows how many more I've read. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, but, uh, like, especially in narrative games, uh, there are certain mechanics that orient themselves towards developing character, uh, character motivation and pathos uh, that I sort of applied to like, okay, well, let's strip these away from the systems they came from and use those mechanics to help people uh, do that sort of storytelling just on their own. So when you say activities, uh, 
at the table. What, 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 what does that mean exactly? Uh, so this would be something actually that is designed uh, primarily to be away from the table. Uh, you definitely oh. can take a couple of these activities. They're like mini games or such that you could take and layer onto your own game. Uh, but I am someone with a lot of friends who tell me that often the most joy they get out of a role-playing game, the most fun they have with D&D is when they're creating a character privately at home with themselves. <laughs> and by the time they bring it to the table, they're already on to the next one. Mm. Um, and like that's been a part of the game for years. And I would argue if you take two hours to create a fighter... Uh, and then you spend four hours later that week playing that fighter at the table that you've spent six hours total playing Dungeons and Dragons mm. because you were playing, you were enjoying yourself that whole time when you were building up that character. Um, so the activities in this book, uh, like one of them uh, would be Five Fears. Uh, it's something that I created for beginning characters, new characters that you take into the game, where you give that character five different fears uh, that they have, like moving into the story. That way you start, you're starting out with an imperfect character who has fears that they will hopefully confront and conquer through your adventures in the game. Uh, and the questions are very directed prompts to help you as a player uh, think through, okay, well, what does my character uh, think about, uh, or what, what do they fear about other people? Uh, what do they feel nervous about? What do they have anxiety about? Um, are they a really good public speaker, but not really good one-on-one, -on -one, that sort of thing? Mm -hmm. uh, that exercise would help you uh, build up a more complex character, one who is not just straightforward, and the only thing that you know about them is their skill scores. Yeah. All right, cool. That so sounds... are you meant to share this with your dungeon master, or is this just for the player to keep to themselves? Uh, so you can you can do both. I highly encourage uh, people like share things with their dungeon master, mm -hmm. but it also for the subset of people uh, who like I know when I first started playing D and D, I would walk away from the table and I would just feel agony for the next week because I was waiting for the next opportunity to play. Mm. Um, and, you know, you think about like your character in those moments in between and situations that you want them to get into and what they would say in those various situations. Uh, so I built the book to sort of extend the process of play to those moments too, those moments in between the mm. game where you can really think about your character and, um, and even uh, to help you hook into the story that you're being told more, uh, one of the exercises that's like kind of a mini game uh, challenges you to uh, video game achievement style, discover things about the game world that your dungeon master has created. Uh, so it will give you a list of things. It's like, okay, find out these things. Find out who has the strongest military force in this setting and how that military force works. So you at the table are playing through the regular story, uh, but in those downtime moments where your GM asks you, so you're at the tavern, do you ask anybody about anything? You'll be queued up with an answer like, oh yeah, I would like to uh, learn a little bit more about the world's military. And oh. that way you can pull yourself deeper into your GM's uh, world and figure out how that relates to your character. That's interesting. I really like that too. I do too. How do you 
I mean, so I guess that's that's like if you had like an achievement sheet or something like that, you could just kind of cross it off and be like, all right, I did that. And it's not even necessarily. That's the funny thing about achievements in the video game world too is like no one ever actually knows that you've gotten an achievement most of the time. Exactly, it's just for you. It's just it's, for you. So this is like extending that to your RPG world, and you're like, all right, well now I know what the most important military is and how it's used. But and I got that achievement. I like Yay. that too because a lot of times. Myself included, people don't know. Like, if you're faced, if you're in a tavern and there's this patron that's willing to talk to you, like, I don't always know what to ask that person. Yeah, that kind of gives you something, and then like, thus helps you with role playing because a lot of what people their barrier for role playing games is the role playing part because they're scared because they don't know how to role play or they don't. Do I have to use a voice? Do I have to make up funny words and actions. And and that's one of the wild things about improv, right? Uh, improv and role-playing, one of the things that uh, people who come to it new struggle with most is they have unlimited options before them. Uh, you can do so much in this game that it's hard to know exactly what you want to do. Right. Uh, so a lot of these activities uh, and mini-games are breaking down your motivations to smaller, more understandable pieces that you can carry with you uh, throughout the game. Um, there are there, There's one exercise that challenges you to learn things about the other characters at the table and learn, th- learn those things in character. So you are given a bunch of like personality questions about, you know, who they are, what, what they want out of life and whatnot, and how you can help them with that. And that way, like uh, when you are sitting at the campfire around a watch or something, uh, you can get closer to the other characters and learn more about them uh, so that you become invested in the stories of everybody else at the table along with your own character. Um, that, that, that's because I've just found in games where I feel like I know about my party and I know about all the things that the other people in my party want to do, I feel so much more invested in everything that's going on because it's not just my story. It's everybody's story and we're all telling it together. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost like a lot of these uh, uh, activities you're talking about and that are in this this book, which sounds fantastic, by the way, but it feels like you're, you're, you're pulling out a lot of the... Uh, the bonds and values and flaws uh, system that's in you know that's baked into fifth edition, but expanding that whole idea because that that's one of my favorite parts about fifth edition is that it puts those front and center on the character seat for players to think about. When in previous editions it was just kind of like an afterthought, and now we're putting it front and center. But you're almost like blowing up that system and making it you know more robust. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, like I really, really appreciate uh, those being incorporated into the new D and D. It's uh, it's one of the most exciting developments that came out of the new edition because it showed that uh, the experience that I was having with my three point five games that didn't feel super mechanically supported, but I always enjoyed, like playing a character who had flaws and drawbacks to them uh, to be more interesting uh, for me is like a storyteller. That's something that, uh, you know, wizards noticed and were like, okay, well, how do we make this part of the game? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just like uh, there are folks who will, you know, buy the splat books for D&D in order to get more robust mechanics, you know, surrounding Gosh, I, I guess they're not as dry as this anymore. They're a lot more driven. But like I know in uh, old D&D, I think it was like 
uh, in 3.5, I think it was like Complete Warrior or something like that, had rules for military engagements and how you would stat out battles that were being fought by large armies mm-hmm. so that that could affect your story. Yeah. I took that same ethos of, okay, if, if Dungeons & Dragons makes a splat book that is about the mechanical end of uh, a, a, a large army combat, how do I make a splat book that is the mechanical end of good storytelling yeah. uh, and how you can have a more realized character at the table? Man. Now I want all those splat books. I know. <laughs> this is, it's inspiring because going back to what you said about how the players can find out information about the other players and sitting around the campfires because a lot of times in a game, that's the part of the story that we just gloss over. It's like, and we take a long rest. Okay. Oh, we wake up the next day and oh, we're all refreshed and ready to go. But you actually could take those moments of sitting around the campfire and actually yeah. expand upon them and use that for really good storytelling, which I never my, really thought about doing. My first game master uh, was a very by the books DM. He would use every splat book he could uh, and incorporate almost every imaginable role into the game, which sometimes made the game very slow. But one thing he did that I really, really appreciated is uh he would have us go on watches at night for random encounters. So we would be sitting there and he would be like, okay, who's assigned to each watch? And we would have to do things like make sure the spell casters went on the first or the last watch. So they could so have their full eight hours. Refreshed and all that nonsense. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so like we, we'd go on these watches, but it would be moments where our characters would sit down together and it would just be two characters on the watch because like you you can't bear the risk of only one person being on a watch and missing a spot roll and then getting murdered by some random beast uh so they would be these moments and he would give us the opportunity to before he asked for our perception checks uh to just sit and talk to each other and we'd sort of debrief about the adventures that we just had and, and we'd talk about, you know, what our characters want in the future. And those became some of my favorite moments of the game mm-hmm. where I was almost more interested in what would what my character's emotional debrief about the fight that we just had would be than I was uh, more than necessarily about like the fight where I blew up everybody with a cool fireball. Um, yeah. And and that's one of the things that I, I kind of wanted to capture uh, for other people. And, and because that happened like spontaneously and it happened uh, in an unplanned way, uh, I, I felt like if you had just as a new player sat me at the table and told me to do that, I would have no idea what you were talking about or what I should do. Right. Uh, so I wanted to make that easier. Yeah. Are there... Th- is is the, the book meant also for some things for dungeon masters or game masters to to use to help their players as well? Uh, absolutely. There there's a lot of world building uh, stuff in this as well. Uh, one thing, one exercise that I've come to really love. I, I've played through it a couple times with my friends. Is called Damn Merlinials, and <laughs> is a 
story is a story world building exercise where everybody at the table gets together and crafts uh, a a generational conflict between an older generation of adventurers and a younger generation of adventurers, and you sort of define like, okay, what pieces of technology do that these younger <laughs> adventurers have access to that the older ones didn't, or what conflict that the older generation come against uh, that the younger one doesn't have a sense of. Um, and you just sort of create like, well, this is how our experience uh, running around going through dungeons is different than the experience of people 20 years ago. And this is how these personalities clash. So it's an opportunity for the players themselves to inject a little bit of their personality and perspective into the world. And for the game master or dungeon master, I suppose, uh, to look at all those options and go, okay, how can I pick up on this in my game? Next time you uh, are going into a tavern, the bouncer at the door, the bouncer at the door can be like, like a half-orc who is from this older generation of adventurers and he's leering at you because he, you know, resents all of the things that you have as a young person. <laughs> and he calls you a millennial. <laughs> yeah. They are millennial. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good uh, 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 term right yeah. there. I'm going to start using that wherever I can. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that a lot of new players don't realize is that th- that connective tissue, those relationships between your characters and the NPCs at the, the Dungeon Master Controls, that's the game. That's mm-hmm. the most exciting and interesting and probably the most memorable part of the game. It's not going to necessarily be you swung your sword and you, you know, killed the goblin, although you know, there's plenty that's of those moments too. that people like to talk about those as well, those heroic moments. But you know, that, that idea of, um, you know, you even think about it like an episode of, of uh, uh, you know, an hour-long drama on TV, right? Like the, yeah. the lion's share of that episode is conversation about motivation and what you're going to do. There might be five minutes of action in that, in that episode. And that same is true for a and d session where like a lot of it is relationships and, and how they work. And that's what the game is really modeling. Of course, there is, you know, the rolling and the fun and the crazy action that you can do. But, you know, I, I, I love that you're encouraging more of those quiet moments. Absolutely. I mean, D&D does a fantastic job of creating super interesting stakes for people, right? Like one of the reasons that it's such an enduring like type of role playing and that D&D is the big top brand is that uh, the circumstances that you encounter in a Dungeons and Dragons game are immediately interesting. Like you're looking for wealth, you're, you're fighting life and death battles, and that's all awesome. So that's taking care of a huge part of what people when they're writing novels or screenplays are, are, are trying to address. Um, but the real meat uh, that's swirling around all those stakes is how it's affecting the characters. Yeah. Like it makes a huge difference if you roll five damage and that, you know, uh, that kills a big bad NPC who's been chasing you over the course of the game, or if you roll 10 damage and killed some random goblin, you're going to care a lot more about that lower five damage (laughs) roll because there's a huge amount of emotional and story importance built into it. Uh, So this book is like sort of trying to break down that aspect of, of play and, and how that can enhance uh, all of the stuff that D and D already does super great. Yeah, yeah, and I think even it, it shows the transition of early Dungeons and Dragons rules to, to now very well in that, you know, the the way modules were written 
in the 80s, it was very much like, here's the monsters, here's the treasure. You know, there's very little motivation for, for why you need that stuff other than to advance your character. But, like, you contrast that with Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and, yeah, there's, oh, yeah. there's treasure, at, you know, as the plot. But that's the most of that book has to do with this character wants that, and these characters want these, and these villains have these motivations, but they're actually trying to do it because of this reason and not because of, it's all about literally what you're talking about describing in this book. That's what Dungeons & Dragons has, has uh, morphed into in, in its adventure writing. And so it's, it seems like we're all reaching the same conclusion. And, and uh, gosh, I want almost more of these things baked into the, the manuals as a whole. Yeah, I, I would love to see uh, what, what like a, a splat book that is based on narrative storytelling would be coming <laughs> out of D&D. That, that would be super cool. But like, I'm already super impressed by... I remember way back when uh, I was talking to a much older role player who, who at the time had been role playing for like 20 years, which, you know, I was only a couple of years in, so I couldn't fathom that. And he yeah. told me that he and his group would replay the same old like second edition modules. Whoa. They would play through the module and then they would play it again. And like not with a different DM or anything like that. They would just play the game again. The same characters and- even? Yeah, yeah. But like something like Dragon Heist these days where you have potentially different antagonists right. that you could be playing with and something like that. I can I can now see, oh yeah, I would definitely want to play Dragon Heist like two or three times just so I could experience how the game changes based on all of that. Uh, so I, I think like it's something that we've kind of always wanted to see. And one of the really exciting things about being a role player these days is that, uh, you know, people are, people are making it. Yeah, it's true. So, all right. So this, this book is called the ultimate RPG, uh, character backstory guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I, I, man, after hearing what is in this book from, from you, uh, I, I, yeah, that's, that sounds pretty amazing. I'm sold. Yeah, it's available. It's out now, right? Yeah, it's it's out now. It's available anywhere books are sold. You should be able to find it in brick and mortars. Uh, you can find it in a Barnes and Noble. It's available from any imaginable online seller. Uh, just search that, or uh, I know it is a very long title. You could also search for James D'Amato, uh, <laughs> and it'll come up that way too. <laughs> Good thing you haven't been so prolific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I already can sense there's a volume two of this one. That's right. All the stuff that got cut out. A hundred more ways. <laughs> I love I mean, it. as long as my publisher keeps paying me to do it, I'll come up with whatever. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, one idea that I've always thought that people uh, who are not from the improv comedy world, uh, I think, would benefit from is doing improv warm-ups in character before a uh, session. Whoa. It's funny you should mention that. I did not write this book, uh, but there is a book written by Karen Twelves uh, that is just about uh, role-playing or improv warm-ups and exercises that you can do to help your role-playing. Oh, nice. Um, so I highly recommend checking that book out. It rules. That does. That sounds right in my eye because as you're describing what, it, I'm like, what why would you do? It? What would be some good warm-ups? Um, gosh, I don't know. I'm not in an improver. I wish I was a better improviser. I need that book to, I need it too. to find out I what to do. I need it by do. Wednesday. Right? Because I mean, me. a lot of the people that we play with don't necessarily uh, come from that background. Obviously, no. you know, in Chicago, you guys have that wealth of improvisers mm-hmm. uh, there to come from. But that's not true everywhere uh, uh, in the country or in the world, right? So having some a little bit of uh, uh, prompts. And even for the Dungeon Master, you know, themselves. I mean, I was... Uh, 
you know, caught up with being that kind of dungeon master that needed to over prepare and uh, <laughs> uh, have the answer for everything. And it was this wonderfully freeing moment where I'm like, well, I don't, I, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to make it up, whatever, whatever <laughs> makes sense at the time. And, uh, you know, that was really freeing. But, you know, like a, it takes uh, exercising that muscle to, to trust it. Yeah. 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 Uh, you, you, and you got to let yourself like fall down and fail sometimes, too, yeah. which is which is difficult. Uh, I, you know, when I think of my first experiences as a game master compared to what I do these days, it's uh, way, way different. Um, so just trying and doing things. What do you, what do, you do when uh, the party wants to go left? And you've only prepped I, for right. <laughs> I go left with them as hard as I possibly can. I, I, I very recently ran a oh, game. Oh, wait, that's the secret. Go left so hard that you're actually going right. You just yeah, spin yeah, them right around. I, <laughs> I, I recently ran a game for some players where the prepared like module adventure was supposed to be uh, you are going to rob a king's fortune. You're just going to steal the gold from this king. And it had them like starting out at a union meeting uh, for their like, uh, they were like all farmers and they were meeting at this farmers union. And they were a lot more interested in uh, just like causing trouble at this union meeting than like actually going out and getting gold at any point. (laughs) So I was just like, okay, if that's what the story is, if it's union rules and whatnot, uh, somebody at this meeting chokes and dies and like because of logistical red tape you now owe an obscene amount of money to this like the state and this person's family and we're gonna follow that for a little bit and they ended up having a fantastic time it was nowhere near the adventure that they were supposed to go on but uh it doesn't matter you just lean into it i like it i like it i need a do-over yeah you do need a do-over shelly needs to get back in the dungeon mastering game you absolutely do. I don't know. It's so scary. You know what you should do? You should do a cleanse leading up ha! to it. And so you're already going <laughs> to be D&D like. fast. You're going to be basically high from the fumes that are in your stomach. I feel like if I were to DM right now. Yeah. I would kill everybody. Yeah. See, that's a Just good. Just a TPK. That's a good instinct to have. And then I would eat their snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your rations. Yeah. We're going to be doing a potluck style D&D session. So you yes. bring a dish. And afterwards, we'll just eat. Oh, it looks like rocks fall and the whole party is dead. But here's all this food. (laughs) (laughs) Deal. for me. Deal and deal. Excellent. Well, James, how can people find out more uh, about this book if they have any great backstory ideas and more about what you're doing in general? Uh, so, like I said, you can look up uh, on the book anywhere books are sold. Uh, just search for the Ultimate RPG Character Backstory Guide or James D'Amato. If you want to talk to me, you can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Uh, and you can find all the rest of my work over at OneShotPodcast.com. That has all of the wonderful shows that we have on the OneShot Podcast Network, including my show, OneShot, where every week uh, we have a new episode. Uh, and just about every month or so, we switch to a new role-playing system with a new cast of players. So if you love D&D and you want to know more about what's out there in the world of role-playing, but you don't have the time to play things that are not D&D... I totally have you covered. Uh, and you can listen idea. to those games and get the benefit of those. Awesome. Thank you so much uh, for calling in and chatting with us. I feel inspired. I do too. I really do. I'm going to create really a really robust uh, character backstory now that I'll have your, uh, your, your guide in hand. 
Well, awesome. I can't wait to hear about them. Awesome. Cool. Thanks a lot, James. Thank you. Say hi to everyone in Chicago. Uh, everyone. Especially uh, uh, Literally Tanya everyone. and uh, uh, everybody from the uh, Rivals of Waterdeep. They're, they're doing oh, awesome Oh, absolutely stuff. I will. Oh, that, I really enjoyed uh, talking to James. Inspired. I really am. Is the word. Really Hashtag. Am. Hashtag inspired. Inspired. Uh, uh, we need to create uh, some fun, fun backstories for um, Drucky Two Shoes and Daryl. Yeah, yeah, maybe it would explain why he just abandoned her. Some would say that we just created a new character, and by uh, we I mean me. Right. But didn't tell the person who's upset, and then I therefore don't know why you would a different character when you had a perfectly good one <laughs> with a sister who loved you. <laughs> oh, drunky. You don't even remember killing Daryl, do you? It was an episode. That we'll have to learn at some point. I guess that's part of my backstory. That's part of your backstory. Oh my God. Next time you pull out Drunky Two Shoes, well, be like, well, he had a brother. I mean, that is, you did mention it literally every session that you played Drunky in. I know, because I'm still bitter about it. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll uh, have a quest line to go save. I feel Darryl. like lately I'm really into playing animals. Yeah. The anthropomorphic kind. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you like the tabaxi, you like the aracocra that yeah. you're now playing uh, on uh, Heroes of the Veil. Vale. Yep. Yeah. I love him. How can you not love him? Flapper. Flapper. Oh. He wears a sweater vest. I feel like he's an innocent. He is. Yeah. He may have killed his brother. <laughs> Innocently. For realsies. For, but not on purposes. That was part of um, our Extra Life game with yeah. Adam Lee. That's right. When he pulled that out of my backstory. Yeah. Pulled it right out of his backstory. <laughs> <laughs> Ripped it out of his backstory and into Ouch. the real life. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. I love that you're, uh, uh, you know, delving into that character even more. I love him. Yeah, we'll, we'll see it. That's Wednesdays at two p.m. Pacific time on uh, the D and D Beyond Twitch channel. But we're hosting that but here hosted, on the D and D one here. Thanks for hosting. Um, Dungeon mastered by Mike Merles and with yeah. a lot of other amazing folks. So check that out. Yeah, if you can. All yes. Right. What else should people check out? Betrayal Legacy. It's a game. It's such a good game. It's getting really good reviews. Yeah. There are people that are saying it's the best game of the year. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's the best game ever made by humans. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is there an award for that? Yes. Yeah. It's actually we're going to blurb you. We're <laughs> yes. Put that on the back of the box. Except it was made. Well, I guess it was made by you too. So I guess you are humans. I'm human. Yeah. I was going to say you're more. Robot. Rob's human. You're more, you know, bird or cat like now though. True. Rob though is definitely human. He's a human. Slightly robotic. No, not really. Nope. There are some game designers who I would say are very robotic, but he's not one of them. No. He's he's pretty human. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly human. Mostly. And, and yeah. Mostly I mean, and, harmless. And that's, yeah. Eighty-five percent. Nice. Uh, so, if you haven't checked out Betrayal Legacy, you should. It's a great blend of board games and role-playing games. Yeah. Uh, so it captures the imagination of both of those fan types. Do it. You don't even have to who have played Betrayal at House on the Hill. That's an important distinction. You do not have. You to. do not. In you fact, you maybe know. should not have ever played. This will be just a great. It's just a good board game. Yeah. If you have played it and you liked it, you'll appreciate a lot of things. It does have not, and lots of nods. There is some uh, interesting story things that are going to make you go, oh! That's why. Okay. Right. I take that. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't think a game like Betrayal at House on the Hill has a lot of like story or lore to it, but 
now you, it does. It does. It does. It's got yeah. like a whole universe to it. Yep. Soon, uh, you and I will be writing novels set in the betrayal of the House on the Hill universe. Do you want to write some fan fiction? Yeah. Can we send chapters back and forth? (laughs) (laughs) Calling back to our other previous guests on Dragon Talk. We can do it. It was a dark and stormy night, and they found themselves on the porch of a house that looked creepy. You're a really good writer. Uh (laughs) I was a writing minor. Minor. I'm a college-trained writer. I, I love that you say college trained and not <laughs> actual published author like you are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that Wizards of the Coast, they'll publish anything. No, if it's especially if yeah. it has D&D or sorceresses in the title. Or part-times. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is my voice. <laughs> oh, are you okay? Have you gone to heck? I don't know. I guess I'll never come back. <laughs> I can't make my voice come <laughs> I feel like you're being, uh, um, oh, what's the name of the actress in front on SNL that does the Jeff Sessions character? I feel like you're, oh, doing, you're yeah. doing that, like, Elf on the Shelf I thing. I don't know now. how to make my voice be normal again. I'm just a normal guy. This is my fasting voice. And poor Pelham is trying to leave, <laughs> so like, we should get the heck out of here. Let's go. All right, everybody. I'm at Greg Tito. Where are you? I'm at Shelly Moon. <laughs> and we are crazy. <laughs> we are dragon talking. Come back and see us sometime. Talk to dragons and be careful of all those rocks. Do you see that up ahead? No. Oh, God. Do you? Oh, gosh. Oh, oh. 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 we're dead forever. 